Welcome to Jason and the Movie Knots. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Paul McCoy. And I'm Sean Hill. And we are continuing our look at the films of David Cronenberg with A History of Violence and Eastern Promises. Uh, so Viggo Mortensen, he's kind of a good actor, isn't he? <laughs> God damn, like he basically plays three different characters in these two movies. And they're all like interesting and distinct and everything about them is like different from body language to speaking patterns to just overall attitude. It's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, he just, Kernenberg just keeps getting all the best and it's, it's amazing just how everybody wants to work with him. That documentary for History of Violence, right? It it really showed how the movie company becomes a family unit. Yeah. And for all of his gruesome imagery and serious topics, right? Like you said, everybody loves him. They like working with him. And you could really see that Vigo and Maria Bello, like they were collaborating with the director intensely to build every scene yeah it's amazing that very creatively satisfying for the actors uh, it's amazing how they don't help Cronenberg doesn't plan anything like he keeps saying in these interviews he doesn't storyboard just gets on set and then starts figuring out how he wants it to play out how he wants it to look it's amazing I mean that is weird for such a visual director right to Mm -hmm. not storyboard yeah. Like I think Lynch storyboards and Ridley Scott totally storyboard is is basically a comic book illustrator. Mm-hmm. And Cronenberg is relying on his cameraman and just seeing what he sees in the moment when they're there. Yeah, the, there was that behind the scenes scene of them uh, filming that opening shot, the opening mm-hmm. sequence, uh, moving into the office where the dead bodies are. And just it, it was just amazing just watching him play it all out in his in his head as he's walking through the room. Uh, it's just very impressive. Basically negotiating the whole way they're going to approach it with the actors. But that was so interesting. That's the little touches the actors threw in there too. Like mm-hmm. the bit about, okay, how, well, have <laughs> you ring the bell? Yeah, that sounds like an interesting thing for him to do. Yeah. And then that being that ends up being the trigger to pull to draw the little girl out. Uh, he's just so good. He's just so it's it's just amazing just how he can just pull all of these threads together to form uh, what's it's something coherent, even cohesive. It's amazing. But it's not on plan, and that's the interesting thing about it, right? Yeah. He does know basically where the where the story's going to go, and this yeah. is certainly adapted from a script. It's not improvised. Um, it's not an Altman movie or something that you know is kind of winged on the on set. Or he knows where it's going, but there's so much ability for everybody to, to be creative in the moment. Mm-hmm. You start with the cameraman and the uh, costume designers too in that documentary. It's got to be yeah, like such a great a workplace, prep. right? Yeah, everybody's Gosh, prepared. Yeah. And he's really like, it's usually not someone else's script completely. He's done a rewrite on the script. 
he visualizes it all in the words of the script. Yeah. But then just the actual shots and actual the way the camera moves through the scene, the way the the yeah, you know, just it's just amazing. I, I I just I can't comprehend working like that. I would I would just freak out and panic every day, not knowing what was going to happen. But he trusts himself and he trusts his crew. This is, yeah. I'm sure, part of why he has a crew that he's worked with forever. That's true. That's true. Because you have to know you're going. These people are going to execute. Um, I mean, it, the, I want to go to this tangent, but it's a little bit of what we try to preach at my job, is that uh, we have a plan. But you know the old phrase, you know, every plan survives until you get punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it's how you react to that plan, to the changes in plan. Now, not being punched in the face, but you're allowing your folks to. You have a roadmap. You know how things are going to go, but you're allowing your folks to help lead you in that way. He's just the kind of first among equals in a way, which is a really fascinating role, right? He's the decision maker, but he listens so well to the other people who are involved. And yeah, it's such an interesting collaborative approach. Yeah, like that sequence where the husband and wife are in the hospital and Maria Bello thought, oh, she'd be so upset, she'd step into the bathroom for a second. And they had a door, but they didn't have a bathroom. There was nothing behind <laughs> the door. Yeah. And the set decorator was like, he's like, she needs to have a bathroom to step into. We're going to go with that idea. And they threw together a bathroom, like right then on the day of shooting mm -hmm. yeah. for that moment that they came up with collaboratively. Yeah, figure out what you need. What's the absolute bare minimum you need to make it read as a bathroom? And they didn't have to show a toilet or anything. She just ducks in and makes retching sounds. And Right. Yeah, it's just, it's, right. yeah. Yeah, yes. it, I mean, it was it was revealing how much of everything, you know, it wasn't a, a lot of his stuff is not on location. It's in the studio. Right. It's with sets. And yet they look they seamlessly transit to the location shots going in and out the doors and whatever. Yeah, I was fascinated by how they they decorated the street outside the the set. So it looked real and the lighting was just right and how um, it gave him a lot more control about how the visuals worked. Cause it was interesting in that doc too, how they were talking about when they had the confrontation at the farmhouse, like they did some scenes and it was bright sunshine. And the next day it was pouring down rain and how they melded those two shots together. Uh, makes you realize just how difficult it is to um, film a movie that's going to be coherent. Yeah, I mean the fact and, that any and, movie and gets how much made, he, and how much he trusts his staff to uh, get things right. Yeah, the 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 fact that any movie gets made is a miracle. Basically, watch if you watch any of these behind the scenes documentaries on any movie, it's just it's fascinating just how how anything gets done, which is another reason why just coming in without storyboards or anything just blows my mind because I, I would I like I said I would I would be panicking every day. I wouldn't be able to make it. I'd have to have some sort of guidelines, some sort of tracks that I'm sticking to. But that's why I haven't made a movie. So, <laughs> well, when you write, well, Paul, do you do you work from an outline or do you improvise a little bit? 
uh, I have an outline. Okay. A, a broad outline. And then I kind of improvise as it goes. Just now I know what points I need to get to. So, yeah. But that's not the same. <laughs> it's it's sort of like that classic Truffaut film, right? Day for Night. Mm -hmm. Where he's showing the incredible artificiality that goes into creating a movie. But somehow it's this magical coming together of people and events and plans that creates the movie magic that makes the alternate reality. And Cronenberg has become at this point a master of like guiding that sort of project. Yeah. And getting the results he wants. Yeah, it certainly pays off with both of these films we're talking about today because the, the quality of really every element of these films is, is incredible. And <laughs> the other thing I love about his movies is that uh, these are both movies where the more you think about them, the more like thematic resonance and complexity there is in them. Uh, I mean, the story of Tom uh revealing his true self in this movie is is a great story by itself but when you start to think about the implications of transformation and effects on the family and effects of the media uh and the glorification of violence it just becomes this really kind of profound statement about the way violence can affect everything around you I'll really essentially change your dna it would make a good double feature with uh, No Country for Old Men, where they both touch on a lot of that similar type of thematic element. It's a good shout out. The, I mean, the, to me, like the, all the levels at which he approaches the idea of violence is what's intriguing in the film, right? The, the family doesn't know it's dysfunctional because they don't know the father has this secret. But it is already a dysfunctional family. And in that, it's not like a lot of other dysfunctional families with bad fathers. And then, on the totally at the other end of the spectrum, whenever extreme violence breaks out, Cronenberg calls on all of his special effects people to make it the grossest but most real realistic violence possible, like a back exploding from a rifle shot and a jaw falling off from a gunshot in the face. Yeah. And it's not glorified. Uh, it's et cetera, just et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just grizzly. Blood splatter all over the place. Yeah, it's grotesque. But when it came time to actually have a dream sequence or like an impossible violent moment, right, with with Ed Harris's character, that wasn't what this movie was about. He didn't include that scene ultimately. Mm -hmm. It didn't need to go into the dream horror because the reality of killing people with guns and knives is pretty horrible. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the way it, I mean, to me, like the, the movie is all about Tom, the Vigo character, but the, you see the horror and the reflection in his son, Jack, and how, you know, it really affects his life, changes his life. He goes from being the bullied kid who emulates his dad, who is this easygoing guy, to being um, the guy who turns the the tide on the bullies and sends the one to the hospital because he he's basically exposed to what violence can do, and he just feels like what feels like yeah, like you were saying, Sean, like this this dysfunctional that's un dysfunctional element that's kind of unleashed. Uh, when they see the violence, it really is like this lifting of a mask or something. Does he have his father's violent potential unavoidably? Did he inherit it? the The daughter is a little too young for us to for her to have you know assert her personality. Mm-hmm. But the violence comes up in the son, and it comes up in the wife too when she's threatened and when she's figuring out this hidden side of her husband. They picked a very physical actress anyway. I mean, Maria Bello has like led her own cop shows and is always willing to kind of jump into the action in her performances. So that's another one of his, you know, it hit me with these two films like there's nobody else like Maria in History of Violence and there's nobody else like Naomi in in uh, Eastern Promises like they are the main female character with the primary focus on them and their scenes and they're doing a part of the narrative, the emotional part of the narrative that nobody else is doing. Which I guess is what, you know, Gina Davis did in The Fly, too. And Genevieve Bujol did in Dead Ringers. He really provides these one-of-a-kind roles for his actresses, not to mention his male leads. Yeah, nobody else does anything like these, like these films. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, even I mean, even though these aren't, you know, what you would normally consider, you know, Cronenbergian films. You know, there's no, they're not horror or science fiction. There's nothing like that. But they're, you can still, they still feel. Like they go right in with everything else that he's done up to this point, so it's 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 really interesting. I mean, the the twist. I mean, this is I guess a history of violence is what is maybe his most mainstream film that he's made up until yeah, this point. A, at it, least it's a studio film. It's... Yeah, I think they said one of the reasons that he took it on was because of uh, you know deferring payment on Spider, and <laughs> now Spider lost him and lost money. Mm-hmm. So he, so that was why he took this one on. And Mortensen wasn't even planning on being in it. He he read the, I think I'm just looking at the Wikipedia right now. Said he read the original script and wasn't really into it. But uh, and then read after meeting with Cronenberg and you know and reworking the script, then that's what brought him on. 
to start his Vigo trilogy, which will we'll continue next time. When another really distant, dif different role. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. In, I'm intentionally not watching ahead. By the way. Yeah, I haven't seen. I don't. I think the only thing I've seen since from this point on is uh, Chronopolis or Cosmopolitan. Cosmopolis. Looking forward to Pattinson. I think he's. I, I'm convinced he's underrated. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe it, not so much anymore. Well, if anyone doesn't believe now. that, if anyone doesn't believe he's underrated, go back and listen to our, <laughs> our, our walkthrough of, of all of the Twilight movies. So much better than I expected. <laughs> but yeah, right, we got rude evidence there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, back to your point about like the women in the Cronenberg movies. I think all throughout his entire career, we've seen this with the female characters who were just these very distinct people. I keep coming back to Crash and the women in Crash and they've got their own kind of inner lives, you know, and their own perverse, not even perversity, just their own sexuality, which is another thing he explores in a really respectful way that's um, really shows character so strongly in these people. I mean, one of the most talked about scenes in history of violence is the sex scene on the stairs i can't believe i did this way it's so long let me spoilers for all these movies but or both these <laughs> movies by the way and it's a big deal when it comes to eastern promises because yeah. there's a, a twist in eastern promises that you don't want to hear about so there now i finally dropped it in 20 minutes into this recording <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, like the sex scene on this on the stairs is so crucial to both like her character and her like seduction into this larger world of violence and um, the kind of self hatred she feels she seems to feel afterwards too for kind of succumbing to uh, the passion of the real Tom uh, is just so powerful. And I don't think you could convey that in, in any other way, except, you know, as a counterpart to the cute sex scene earlier in the movie, and by this idea of the married couple having sex and this being a way that they relate to each other. Yeah, it, speaking of that, this is one of the few times that I've been to the theater and people got up and walked out at the first sex scene huh. because of the uh, the content they just couldn't handle the idea of uh, grown married people 69ing and they were horribly offended and got up and walked out. The only other movie I've seen that people have walked out in has been like the cook thief, his wife and her lover, which I understand in that, but that blew my mind. Wow. I couldn't believe it. I like the commentary, by the way, how he says, I'm proud to have the first mainstream movie yeah. at 69 in it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, that's the the cheerleader outfit is part yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that that would that does blow my mind because I mean, do people really think it doesn't happen? <laughs> and they don't want to see it. <laughs> wow. I guess I don't know. I don't know what was going through their heads. I don't know. They're they're a married couple who's been married for twenty years or so. I don't. They're in their 30s or 40s. Uh, 
there's nothing offensive about it really except if you just don't want to see it wow it's crazy i mean there's already been already been you know violence and murder a, a child being shot in the, in the opening sequence you don't see it but it happens uh and, but that was okay but you know yeah putting mouths on genitals nope not 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 happening we don't see it <laughs> i know that's what makes it even funnier <laughs> yeah we see murder every day on tv though and then they didn't stick around to see the second violence section. i know they probably would have loved that yeah. that jaw <laughs> yeah does Mar does maria's character discover the real tom or does she just realize that there's two toms there's joey and there's tom like is Tom not real? That's the life he wants. That's the question. I think, I think in the in the end it's going to be a combo. But again, you know that's and and that goes back to you know another one of those combo you know two people combining into one theme that we've been we've mentioned before. Mm -hmm. So we, we do have Tom and Joey. Really hard to assert to ed harris that he's not the the guy he thinks he is mm -hmm. he holds on to it as long as he possibly can yeah. until he's like shot in the shoulder himself or whatever and you see and that's the cause he wants it so much to be true but you see the transformation cross his face during those scenes yeah right joey's still there he's yeah he's always been there really and you see it when he has to deal with his actual with his brother who doesn't understand what's become of him yeah that i have to say i was taken out of it out of the film when we got to that point i could not take william hurt seriously and he got nominated for an Oscar for this. And I, I couldn't do it. I know that's kind of flabbergasting. He's the one that gets the nomination. Yeah. I know. I, I was stunned. And, and this just... kitschy character at the end of the film. Well, I think Vigo got a makeup nomination for uh, Eastern Promises because he deserved it here. Probably. But man, yeah, I, I was there too. You know, Oscar has a love. Of, Oscars have a love affairs with certain actors, and they've been into William Hurt ever since *Kiss of the Spider Woman*. That's true. And I thought he was crap in that movie. That movie is completely offensive to modern gay standards, <laughs> and trans don't even don't even start. Oh that. yeah, yeah. I haven't I haven't seen that in God, thirty years. At one least I, thirty years. One I don't feel like I need to see. I was I was a big William Hurt fanboy at the time. I mean, when I I uh, broadcast news hit and uh, uh, Children of a Lesser God, Children of a Lesser God, um, Body uh, Heat. Oh yeah, Very Body Heat. Altered States. Altered States. Um, I loved. I liked him in that. The, the Big Chill. Yeah, I mm. I I just I watched everything he did, and. But man, I couldn't handle him in this. <laughs> he, he did an okay Jane Eyre at one point. 
I don't okay, that one I didn't see. Sometimes you watch these performances and it just feels like you can see him try an actor trying, mm-hmm. but not right. succeeding. Well, it's also that documentary was revealing because they're 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 showing him a lot of fealty and respect for his understanding of vocabulary and accent. And you know, he's a ma- he's a master thespian. <laughs> and it's like I, yeah. but you sound ridiculous <laughs> okay so it wasn't just me <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> okay. he's not the best part of the movie by any stretch. <laughs> no though no, I, I liked him like i like the idea of him if that makes sense i liked him as like a concept in the movie mm-hmm. thing is you know the truth the family revealing who you really are how you can't really escape your past, how, you know, the, he's the one who knows him the best. Uh, but the actual performance, I think, was just off. I also didn't buy he was living in the, that giant mansion and did wonder why those men were all there. I like the theory that he's he was gay and that was part of the thing he was trying to cover up in a way, his his deeper secret. Yeah, see, I, 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 was it Cronenberg that, that put that theory out there that was one of the things that he was kind of considering in the the way it was put together i think so i think so you see i did i didn't i didn't see that i just felt like he was incompetent he was just he was he he had he was just competent enough to tread water and to stay where he was and i like that i i I mean i really like the character i i love the concept of it and i love the fact that that one of the main reasons that he is where he is now is because you know joey's joey's dead and the fact that joey's not dead you know places his whole lifestyle in jeopardy his whole career in jeopardy is a a fantastic plot point i mean and it's a great story i just hated william hurt in that role i wanted some somebody else anybody else was Gabriel well, Byrne would have been, you know, he oh, just yeah. worked with Gabriel Byrne on Spider. I mean, that would have been an easy paycheck for him. But oh well, I don't. I don't think you, this is a case you're not going to get us trying to defend him from you either. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, yep, Paul's right. It doesn't happen right. very often. <laughs> but I mean, no. I. That's not I don't know if there is a gay vibe there. I think it's another instance of Cronenberg using gay sexuality for to make things weirder. Okay. Right? There's a little homophobia that still comes up from time to time, you know, from back back and naked lunch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like sexuality is odd and so gay sexuality is the odd s and anyway and it's even in um eastern promises a little bit too with the Vincent Castell character right yeah he kills somebody because he calls him gay and he calls the person he kills uh a pejorative because of that and there's this it's sort of ambiguous if he is or isn't 
gay or bisexual. Yeah, they do kind of imply that he is, or at least, you know, Vigo's Vigo's suggesting it to his to Castle's father to like manipulate. But I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And and but the chemistry between Kirill and uh Vigo's character, right? Mm-hmm. They're always touching and holding and kissing. Yeah. There's a mm-hmm. lot of physical contact between the two. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if you get to do a Vigo movie without touching Vigo a lot. <laughs> Very physical. We'll see in the Freud movie. <laughs> and, and why wouldn't you want to? <laughs> exactly. Uh but he well, so it, yeah, I think I was thinking about that whole aspect of Eastern promises a lot, right? Because so much of their culture is around the the prison, the, the being toughest in prison, male dominance in prison, and then that being part of this kind of all pervasive uh, Russian culture. And um, you know the body is so upfront as being this representation of who you are. Your body is like the story of your history. And yeah, I, I, it makes me wonder how fluid these these men are sexually and how they rationalize it. Because I, I there's clearly a lot of rationalization in that machismo they're carrying around. I mean, why why are the only women in their world essentially? Um, you know, fourteen-year-old girls, um, like it's actually one of the weird things about Eastern Promise is the only Russian women we see are either kind of babushkas celebrating that woman's hundredth birthday or whatever, <laughs> yeah. or these young young girls. There's no one in those movies who could really be their equals. Not in that in that lifestyle. Yeah, I think we may see a couple, but not a couple of women. But they're just background figures, and then the little girls who are playing the violins. Well, the that's the class difference, right? The slaves are the slaves, but the babushkas and the privileged little children are part of the elite class. Mm-hmm. That's the class struggle that, uh, what's his name, Armin Mueller Stahl preserves as the patriarch. Yeah, Simeon. Yeah. And then Naomi Watts and her family, right? Like they're Russians, but they're expatriates who have gone full British. So they're out of that system of, of hierarchy to some extent. Though the only way they refer to her when she interacts with the criminals is as the midwife. That's mm-hmm. she's her role. Mm-hmm. Yep. Midwife she's and the undertaker. Person. She's not was a person. I thought yeah. that was a nice, nice contrast between the two characters of her and Vigo's, where you know she's the midwife and he's the undertaker. She's bringing life in. He's taking them out. It's a nice. He's just the driver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well that's it too right she's upfront about who she is and he's hiding 
who he really is. Yeah, double lives in both movies. Yeah, double lives in both movies, absolutely. Which is the big spoiler twist, everyone. <laughs> Which I I wasn't I I I I could have done without that personally. I thought it would have made him more interesting if he was not actually working with the police. I was playing with that, right? Because like, is it is him saving the baby more effective if he's kind of slowly becoming more human through his relationship with Anna? That's I would I would have much preferred that. But yeah, that's probably and this was the B, this was uh, like financed by the BBC, right? So I mean, it was and it was supposed to be. I think the the writer said the BBC wanted something about Eastern European prostitutes in London. That was that was what he was given to to write to start with. And I don't know, maybe they had to have some sort of some sort of moralizing that maybe wouldn't have ordinarily been in the film if Cronenberg had been in, totally in charge. But I don't know, maybe not. It did. Uh, read a lot like one of those BBC crime series. Yeah. You know, I watch like a lot of them. Right? Yeah, Whether we. they're like Wallander and Annika mm -hmm. and uh, Happy Valley just Wallander came back for a third season. Where it's sort of comedic. And there's this gritty London downtown expose of corruption prime suspect yeah, luther it, it has it has that vibe a lot it, of the movie it does I get, maybe that's just because they actually did film in london which it gives another another oddity for cronenberg and in those movies they're always going back and forth from like restaurants to hospitals to seedy apartment buildings mm-hmm They don't usually end up like at the British Museum or somewhere nice. <laughs> Did either of you think that with everyone doing Russian accents, that this would have, this is how M. Butterfly should have been done? Looking back at it. Because like everybody in M. Butterfly was supposed to be French, but they were all played by English actors. Oh, I think that that's a, an interesting idea. That was a problem I had with it at the time when, yeah. we, when we talked about it, because they they just seemed like British soccer hooligans, you know, rather than French diplomats and French uh, sp I don't know spies, whatever. Yeah, I didn't buy the, the all the embassy scenes either. But now here they've decided, you know, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to actually do. Russian accents. Everybody who's in it is either, you know, from Russia or from someplace near Russia enough that they can pull the accent off. Or Vigo, who I guess traveled around, <laughs> traveled his, around his, Russia. His meeting commitment people. to uh, authenticity is he's, really impressive. He's a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they said what he he just had, he just flew off to Russia, didn't know anybody, just you know met people while he was there and convince them to let him you know follow them around for a while and 
learn how to how to get the accent right. He went to the whoever the, his character's from. That's just right. Insane. It wasn't that's... even Moscow or St. Petersburg. It was actually like that little town in the middle yeah. of nowhere. That's just there's that's... no place for women like you in my town. That's just crazy. Yeah. And they're talking about him bringing just bringing stuff to decorate the sets in history of violence and yeah, going back to visit his mom, wherever she lives and bringing back fish stuff. Cronenberg <laughs> yeah, actually stuff. said, I've never had an actor do anything like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's just, that's, that is amazing. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I gave him as much credit before watching all of these today, this, this time. I mean, I, I liked him, but I, I mean, I hadn't, I didn't, hadn't given these movies close viewings before. I don't know if I'd seen a history of violence since seeing it in the theater, and maybe I can't remember if I saw Eastern Promises in the theater or not. Might have, might have had to wait for home video on that. It might not have even come here since I live in the boonies. But yeah, he's he's it's totally impressive. Every, every I I would basically watch anything he does now. So talking, I was thinking about your comment about the accents in light of the comment also in the bonus scenes. These these bonus scenes are always so interesting, by the way. And I could listen to Cronenberg talk all day long. The guy's such a, so articulate. Uh, but the point he makes about how everyone reflects the accent of when they learned English. So, you know, like, Nikolai, who was more freshly arrived, spoke a much more broken English than like Semyon did, who'd mm -hmm. been there for many years, and he'd had, he'd had kind of a, a, a double life in in London. That was a great insight. And um, to answer your original question, I'm not sure the actors playing the French characters would have been able to pull that off in the same way. Yeah, they would probably have to just recast the whole thing. Because they'd all have to be speaking, you know, proper diplomatic level French. Or at least accents. At least give them the accents. You know, yeah. what we think of as like the posh, the equivalent of like the, the posh British accent in French. I mean, I guess for M. Butterfly, I just, I just accepted that substitution and went with it, right? It's a French embassy, but we're our translation is a upper class british accents yeah instead of i mean otherwise i guess he would have found french actors who speak english to do the film and for some reason he used you know he was using a consistent group of british actors but in this one so that one it was kind of an illusion but it it's 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 a not super realistic play anyway yeah that's true that is true this is a crime drama in london yeah with a bunch of people for whom english is their second language so you just need the actors who can do a convincing whatever level of russian accent was needed and you know like in Naomi's case and her mother's, no Russian accent at all because they were fully mm -hmm. English at that point. But the uncle, Stepan, mm -hmm. Polish in Russian accent. And uh, 
I like seeing her mother. Her mother was 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 almost a fully realized female character. Sinead Cusack. She's a great. She's a really good character actress. Mm-hmm. And I've seen her in a bunch of things. She transforms herself in movies too, like this sort of feathered, uh, highlighted, haired, you know, aging soccer mom thing. That's not her. That's the character. And uh, obviously there to support Naomi's home life. Anna Ivanova's home life. And really giving it like this filled in performance too. It really was kind of this interesting like it really felt interestingly three dimensional. Yeah. And her relationship with Stefan was, you know, nicely vague too. He, he didn't have to spell out whether, you know, they were a couple or just friends or just hung out together or what the relationship was. Just like how that was just like this undercurrent, you know, it, because that's how family often is, right? People who are just around the house, you don't think about them much. And they they became kind of the normal people who then, because of Anna, get in, get endangered, get threatened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he also said something about how, like, Nikolai and Anna, it's not a love story, but there's sexual tension between them anyway. Like I, the end, like I think the ending of of um, Eastern Promises is so powerful when they save the baby mm-hmm. being thrown in the river. Mm-hmm. It's just the three actors, and they're all saying goodbye to each other. They're all going their separate ways, but she's keeping the baby. She saved the baby. And there's just a, a, a such a strange tension between the three of them in that whole sequence on the edge of the water down the brick-lined alley. That is another scene, though, that does call back to British TV drama, TV crime drama. I mean... You, you They're always know. chucking people in the rivers. You you just well, you you know the baby's going to be okay. That was that was again another not a not a problem but a little disappointment that I had with it was once you know that that uh, Vigo is playing both sides, then you know the baby's going to be okay. Yeah, he's he, he's going to save. They're going to save the baby, and you know you know Uncle. What's his name? Uncle Stefan, whatever. You know he's gonna be okay. Yeah, you know, you know he didn't kill him. You know he's he's off in a hotel in Scotland, being, you know, laying low. So that that I just I just yeah, and again, and that all that all circles back to having Vigo play a double, you know, a, a double character working with the police. It just undercut all of the the dramatic tension for me in the whole last last portion of the film that I don't think I don't I, 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 I yeah I just wish he hadn't been 
working with the cops and had killed the uncle <laughs> and you know and then maybe maybe the baby would have been wouldn't have made it who knows it would have been i, I would have been i would have been anxious and tense about that in that case yeah and then they could save the baby and it would be okay oh that's a that's a relief yeah the uncle dies but the baby lives but uh i don't know once once you know once i knew he was a cop i was like yeah there's no there's no more tension everybody's got plot armor from this point on so that was well, a little what disappointing. It, what does it ultimately mean though when he replaces simeon and becomes the head of the london branch of the vor whatever they are see that's 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 an interesting question that's it, where yeah that's is the part he I was wrestling. Still a double today. agent, or is he is he going to tone down their crimes? I, yeah, that's 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 a good point. That's a good question. I, I I would really love to see the next step in this to see what where this is going to go, given what they've set up with. They set it up with. I think there was talk about doing a sequel, but uh, I think that fell apart. But because how do you bring this down from within? Uh, we've never seen anything like that in movies before. Yeah. Well, you know that when Carol forces him to have sex with that slave girl, um, mm -hmm. right? He does it because his his uh, undercover job depends on it, but then he gives her the money to sort of get away and then we learn in dialogue that the police came and asked for her by name and took her away mm -hmm. and you know it's him sending the police to get her out of there yeah mm -hmm. right he did something horrible to her and he then he's and so he has to she's on his conscience now he had he had to do something about it right so does that mean he's going to like say, hey, you know, human trafficking isn't very profitable. Let's go <laughs> back to the heroin guys. <laughs> or like what? Yeah, but they make it such a point earlier in the movie too about how it, it's incredibly profitable, so much more profitable than smuggling right. drugs. Because the penalties are so much smaller. Such a brilliant bit of dialogue. So what does he do, right? Does he... He can't stop bringing drugs over either. Yeah. It, it, that's another nice mirror for both of these films as both of them end with that, that ambiguous, what, what next, you know, the main, our main characters don't die again for a change. And, and they both, and there's a, there's a family meal in both of them too. The, you know, the family meal with Vigo sitting down in a history of violence and then, Naomi Watts' family having their family meal, you know, so everybody's safe. But then you've got that, then it does fade over to Vigo, you know, sitting on the throne or whatever. I don't, yeah. Yeah, Naomi Watts walking out with the baby outside of her house and giving up the bottle, and you just feel like this contentment from her. This is all over yeah, for she, her, but she he's... The David Lynch ending at the end of Blue Velvet, right? She gets yeah. the bird singing in the window and mm -hmm. the kitchen table and everything's everything's great for her and Christine. Yeah. But I mean, I get I mean, she earned it going through everything she did in the movie, but 
Kirill's going to be a wild card still. Like, is is Vigo's whole job keeping Vincent Cassell under wraps? Like, what? I would guess that would be you know, where we're going from this point. You know, he's. I mean, I guess Vigo's you know, not in charge. So, you know, Cassell's in charge, and Vigo's his conscience, I guess. Mm. So maybe maybe he's so good at doing that so far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, even when they, hey, saved, they the, saved the baby. <laughs> yeah. But he he's like, okay, let's go party. Yeah. You know, there's no seriousness in him. Yeah. He's kind of an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's how they bring it down from the inside is just incompetence. Right. Like like William Hurt. That, that would make sense. <laughs> I was gonna. I I want to go back on a tangent, but um, do you think uh, William Hurt and Vigo's dad was a gangster too? Was that the family business? It would probably have to be. Because they, I would, yeah. I didn't hear anything that talked about that. No. No, it's all just about brothers. It's all about brothers, right? But. I had trouble imagining them getting them having that bond in in the crime family without it being like inherited to them. Yeah, I would I would I would assume it had to be. Which then means that the it's inherited across generations. You know, it really is part of their almost more literally part of their family DNA. And then, okay, so that with that in mind, then Christine, is Christine carrying a curse in a way herself too? She's already in a way cursed because, you know, uh, her, her actual father is going to be in jail. Her actual mother died horrifically. There's truth that's going to come out later on in her life that's going to be incredibly painful. I mean, it, that's the tragedy of the story, right? Like the whole thing of the her mother is she thought she was going to go to a nightclub to sing. Yeah, right? she was trying to get, get a better life and live her her Euro, Western European dream, mm -hmm. and instead she was uh, put into a prostitution house and given doses of drugs. And raped. I feel and like that tries to do something about being pregnant. Though what can she do? She did the best she could, which was make sure the baby survived and that she didn't. I kind of feel like they 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 underplay all of that. You know, for a film that, that was supposed to be about you know Eastern European prostitutes and human trafficking in London. We get more attention paid to you know Russian crime families and tattoos than really to the actual subject matter of the of the film. I, I feel like maybe that's maybe that's something that maybe they got a little bit off track with in the in the process of making the film. Maybe that it became more about that that British crime drama thing rather than 
the focus on the victims and and the system and the degradation and the pain and it becomes about saving the baby and that, so in that sense I, I i do think it it does fall short there's a very traditional story at the core of everything yeah that well, almost cliche almost cliche that Cronenberg then sort of masterfully turns in a variety of directions. And, but I think when you've got Vigo willing to do an assassination fight scene naked in a bathhouse. Yeah. I mean, that's fight scene, you know, that's up there with They Live and Rowdy Roddy Piper and the 19-minute mm. endless battle. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's not even with the real enemy. Uh, you know, it's it's what it, it's the core of the movie. It's the reason the movie is remembered more than anything else. <laughs> and who else has ever done something like that other than Vigo? Yep. And it's, so yeah. I think I think Cronenberg can, and Cronenberg's you know appreciation for his actors, I think he sort of fell in love with Vigo and sort of went with Vigo, yeah. right? That's a part of it too. And and whether it's sort of sick and twisted, right? It, it, the whole movie's very voyeuristic. Movies are voyeuristic, and we're getting a pleasure out of the drugs and sex and violence even as we're condemning them. It's that same seduction you feel when watching most gangster movies, right? In a way, it would be interesting to be a member of the Corleones or the Sopranos. Yeah. I did, It'd be uh, interesting to like act to on your worst impulses and deal with the consequences later. Yeah. That's a fantasy wish fulfillment. And then the movie shows how hard that is and why it's a terrible idea. But Do you think these, that you think that that aspect of Eastern Promises, does that contradict some of the things that he was doing in A History of Violence? Or do you think it's uh, just a, an expansion on the, the ideas? Going back to that glorification, you know, that whereas in history of violence, it's not a glorification; it's it's almost a, a repulsion to the violence. And in, in Eastern Promises, you know, by avoiding guns, that's something that we haven't mentioned. You know, nobody has a gun in Eastern Promises; They're, they all use knives or fists or you know whatever they can get their hands on. And so it's all up close and and physical. Does that? Does that bring us closer to that idea of the revolt, the repulsion of the violence, because it has to be so personalized? Or does it get glorified a little bit in this because he's a hero cop or here I mean, he's an undercover agent, basically, who has to do bad things? Well, the, the ambiguity of the message is that violence does solve problems. some problems yeah yeah right in even the the kid 
fights back against his bully, his bully doesn't bother him anymore. Maybe mm-hmm. there's a lawsuit in history of violence from mm-hmm. the parents or whatever, but yeah, he's his his days in in the school hall are safer than they were. And uh, Tom kills his brother. His brother's not going to stop bothering him. One thing that William Hurt does sell is how insidious this guy is as kind of a leech on everyone around him. Yeah. And, you know, you're not unhappy when he shoots him in the head. (laughs) And then, yeah, in, in Eastern Promises, he's just better at the violence than everybody else. They all think they're pretty good at it. You know, but we the, the the Russian thugs, we see them like slitting that guy's throat in the cemetery, right? That guy is a teenager who doesn't even know what he, who, who's mentally not competent. Yeah. And old people, right? And 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 14-year-old girls, like then they have to deal with a grown man who knows what he's doing, like like Nikolai. And the tables are turned. So, I mean, I, I, I guess I would say that Eastern Promises is a more conservative movie than History of Violence, because History of Violence brings up the disturbing issues and sort of lets them stay there, doesn't yeah. solve it. Yeah, that's the unspoken and Promises dilemma. sort of ties it up in a bow by the end. Yeah, that's the unspoken dilemma of the final scene, history of violence, right? They're all, when they're all sitting together at the dinner table, and what do we yeah. do, right? Is the genie's out of the bottle. Is this Joey or Tom? And how has this changed all the rest of us? Is it Toey or Jom? <laughs> I I sort of like the way Wikipedia summed it up. You know, they they said... They offer him food, signifying his acceptance back into the family. Well, the the daughter, the daughter does. The daughter says, "Yeah, gets his plate," and I think the son, the son is who passes him, yeah, the butter or something. I can't remember, but and the kids are going to be the most accepting. But that that marital relationship is going to be interesting. She's yeah, because she's crying at the end. Right, and it's it it's left as a question: Is the tear of happiness well, or tear? Through, of, she went through a lot in the movie. Yeah. yeah, from Ed Harris's harassment of her and her family. Right. Well, yeah. she's she's undergone the ultimate betrayal too. True, and her name's not even a real name. Uh, yeah. That that was that was something that really hit. And we haven't even mentioned how good Ed Harris is <laughs> in the history of violence. I mean, he was that. That was the, one of the scariest characters I think I've ever seen him play. Right next to the the, the man in black in uh, in Westworld. That was good. He just took such such pleasure in tormenting. Yeah, unlike uh, her, it felt like he really inhabited that character. I bought him from the minute we saw him. Something about the way his chin was set or something. <laughs> he didn't need the whole thing with his eye, which I thought was interesting too. 
to to convey the character and all the uh the way the way the violence had kind of perverted him have either of you read the graphic novel that it was based on i i i have it and i feel like i must have back then but not since so long ago i i i, I don't have it haven't read it i was just curious if maybe that was a carryover from the comics the eye thing but that was something that joey had done to him years earlier that's that's why he <laughs> why he knew it was him for sure well that's the implication in the story right that's what makes yeah. it personal yeah you blinded me so that's why i was just curious if that if that was in yeah if that was in the comic or if that yeah, was it is they, it, it is. is okay yeah if i could remember where it was i could go find that i'm not sure where i put it no i it just found it right i found it on google conveniently so that's uh, that yeah that's that and the crime family in history of violence were kind of over the top they were exaggerated you know so you you do lose that that physicality and that realism that you do get in eastern promises and maybe that's well and then that's that just makes it a weird makes it even weirder that in history of violence you get a more subtle uh, examination of violence and its impact and and whereas then in, in eastern promises where it's more ground down to earth and gritty and real you get a more kind of almost you know cop drama mm -hmm. version of of violence and in the end so it's a weird these two movies are very strange back to back they've got a lot of interesting similarities and and they do pair up really well but to be honest, uh, after watching them this time, I had, I had, I didn't enjoy a history of violence as much as I did Eastern Promises. But now that we've been talking about it, I feel like a history of violence I, was a better film. I feel like I got more out of it than I did Eastern Promises. But, I, which I wouldn't have said at the start of this conversation. So that's interesting. Well, I'm glad we kind of change your mind in that way um there's something really seductive about watching a gangster movie where you're really kind of pulled into their world mm -hmm. and see it from the inside out i mean it really is like this whole other culture we're exposed to i like how we really our conversation really showed like it's a it's a fucked up culture you know the, this real culture of of I don't know, abuse towards anyone who's not a straight white male is um, just so perverse. And then the way they treat each other in this movie too. I mean, e even the whole thing with tattooing, which, you know, whatever, you get your tattoos. Uh, but uh, the way it's used as kind of this almost weaponized mm -hmm. you know, tool to prove your bona fides. And, yeah, and I, I had not noticed it the last, I guess, like I said, the last time I saw Eastern Promises was probably the first time I saw it, and I missed it. And whereas I, I got it this time was that the whole reason that the, the who, were the, who was the boss in charge, the real whole reason that he gave Vigo his stars and made him a, a captain or whatever was to mark him so that they would know who to kill when he sent him off to the, to the bathhouse. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I, I missed that entirely the first time. I was just and and I even put in my notes was like, you know, oh, he uh uh that the stars were like it was like a betrayal of this of Vincent Castle. And you know, there was gonna be like that was gonna be the the big twist was Vincent Castle was gonna be the one to try to kill him or something. Because I'd forgotten I'd forgotten almost everything about the the ending of it. So it was it was it was that was a nice twist. That was nice and subtle. And I did appreciate that. And then it also puts him in place to, you know, to move up after he gets taken out and sent off to prison. Kind of backfired on him. But, um, you know, but again, all the praise, uh, most of the praise that I hear about the film are about the tattoos and the history, you know, the, the, the culture of the tattooing and the prison tattoos. And I don't hear anything, anybody talking about the, the human trafficking part. Mm-hmm. it's weird this was also one where we they're both two films that we have uh, new types of openings for Cronenberg yeah. with the opening uh, panning shot in is it a pan I guess it's not a pan when it carries on with them I can't remember the terms but uh, you got these, the two killers in the motel you stay on them and their dialogue all through that opening. Whereas, you know, normally we had our montage of art and things. And then in Eastern Promises, we don't get anything at the beginning. And then the closing credits are where we get all of it. And we get our tattoo images montage. So not really, a, you know, a point of discussion, but just an interesting thing to point out is he's, he's playing with his format. He's finally... I guess maybe he feels finally comfortable enough to not do what he normally would have done in a film. Or maybe because these are more, you know, more financially uh, viable. Maybe he needs to, felt he needed to do something different. Yeah, he was saying how he liked liked that transition as being like this entree into this other world. Mm -hmm. Okay, take off your jacket be ready to watch a movie okay now you, i'll give you this you know transition in yeah. and instead yeah in history of violence he's just like uh already putting us into the world it was nice seeing Stephen mccaddy i had forgotten he was that character he's just doesn't have anything to do with current with the crime family he's just a random psychopath or whatever serial killer with his I guess it was his nephew or his cousin. Yeah. <laughs> Taking him under his wing. That's another thing Cronenberg does that I don't think is appreciated. He allows his actors to create this world yeah. for their characters and um, build it up. And as long as it doesn't contradict, he seems to really appreciate it. So I like how these, those criminals who are, you know, just seem like thugs have this whole other backstory that could be its own other movie, I guess. Yeah, like we've come in on the and on the tail end of their movie. Mm-hmm. Their and, spree killing Henry portrait of a serial killer movie. Yeah. yeah. Te- I'm going to teach the boy how to be a real killer. <laughs> <laughs> a road but film. It had to be so horrific because you needed to see what would trigger Tom to bust exactly. his cover. 
Exactly. Right. And again, it's that it's, it's over the top. It's, it's, you know, comic booky, but it works, it works and it, it helps to really emphasize the ambiguity of, of the whole thing of all the thematic elements where that realism in Eastern promises doesn't allow that for some reason. Yeah. In, in, in my opinion, I don't know. I don't yeah. Know I think, I think it's true. I think it's good insight. Yeah, and the contrast he's able to draw in history of violence, even just from the scene you're talking about, right? So we get the gun put up against the girl's head and then we get the noise and then it transitions immediately into the domestic life. And so we get this moment that gives tension and then we start to feel comfortable again with the peacefulness of Tom's life and the tension pops up again. He he does a great job of like, giving us the stress and then release and stress and then release. Mm -hmm. in a way that really feels very uh it's just very symmetrical i guess i mean that's probably not the word to use but uh satisfying i guess mm -hmm. and i and i and i like the fact that it was it was just random yeah it te technically you know it, it's, this is just it wasn't you know the his mob family finding out about him some other way and they weren't involved with the mob in any way it was just these crazy killers just drove through his town. He just happened to be the one there. I mean, if he hadn't been working that day, everybody would have been killed and they would have just went on their, on their way. So they it's, a, it's, it's the wrong diner. That exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody knew it was the wrong diner, but it was. Nobody had any way of knowing. Yeah. And then I, I like the fact that that He's then. He's it forever. Exactly. I, I, I like that. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. I think I think making making Vigo not working with the police in Eastern Promises would have allowed for that more ambiguity, more amb amb ambiguous messaging or ambiguous theme about using violence and about the way the violence uh, shapes them and shapes their their reality. So I think we kind of came to a consensus, didn't we? <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Because I felt a lot of the same as what you're describing, Paul. Uh, you know, I, I just felt the more of a buzz from Eastern Promises, and I felt like the ending was so satisfying with him uh, having his kind of gang leader in charge moment at the end, the Scarface moment at the end. Um, but yeah, it's kind of this interesting, like feeling like ultimately it's a little emptier than it felt like it was. Yeah, and I think you're right on target with with it, Sean. It did it did just feel like a British cop TV show. Not that but, I'm condemning it for that. Oh no, no, I, I know, but, I, but it but it felt like like Luther like Luther could have been in there, <laughs> or you know, or. Uh, I don't even know who else. And I love. I'm addicted to those shows. I love those shows. Yeah. But they're exploring the seediness of modern life. They're not solving it in any way. Yeah. And I I think history of violence, you know, was more daring in what it had to say about masculinity and endemic violence and the potential for American violence. Mm -hmm. 
etc. But I think Eastern Promises has this sort of sensuality and emotional tone that kind of threads through it melodically. Mm. So yeah. I think it's yeah. satisfying as a film. I think it's yeah. viscerally satisfying and and but ultimately not as disturbing on some level as History of Violence. Yeah. Like yeah, that word I, melodically. Yeah, that was a nice that was nice. Good choice of words. <laughs> I mean that's what he didn't change between the two films, right? Howard Shore is still there. Yeah. Thank thank goodness for that. Mm -hmm. and the musical you know howard shore is like the background but it's the perfect background for the emotional true quality of the scenes true. yeah yeah and i want to make clear that i'm not i'm not saying eastern promises isn't good it's it's a fantastic film i just feel like it it falls a little short compared to the history of violence if you watch them together and yeah, if, we, if we hadn't watched them together i don't know if i would have even come to the same conclusion well, they're both great films, right? Mm -hmm. But when I'm starting to think about my stack rank list of Cronenberg's best, um, yeah, I think Eastern Promises isn't quite at the top level. Uh, it's got a lot of amazing sequences. I mean, we only really touched on the bathhouse fight. But I think that's one of the greatest scenes he's ever shot. Yeah. That's up there with the car wash sex scene and crash. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. really, really well done. I mean, I, they're all just so well done. <laughs> I, I want to mention something I really liked from the documentary. You know, he mentioned crash. He, he's talking about history of violence's sex scenes. Mm -hmm. And he said, right, crash is all sex scenes. And one of his procedures on set was that any actor could stop and go look at the dailies at any right. point. Mm -hmm. They could see themselves and give him feedback on how their bodies were being depicted. Yeah. And he would respond to that. He would incorporate their perspective. And I think that, right, that is just like such evidence of creating safety on a set, appropriate safety for, for the risks the actors are taking. Mm -hmm. you know every actor always says that sex scenes are like sort of the weirdest thing and that staircase scene right we saw that there were two stair there were more than one staircase because they were viewing it from from through the wall for part of it behind them and then through the doorway right and it was every single movement was planned yeah and with no padding <laughs> right. yeah, yeah they came out bruised yeah yeah i i definitely got the feeling from the all the action scenes and history of violence like wow actors i mean do a lot of things when they should get a stunt double to do it for <laughs> but i thought that was a great that was a great policy right your body's going to be up there on display if you hate the way it looks you can do something about it i wish yeah. i wish people would give me that permission whenever they take my photo for any reason because <laughs> i'm often going no you cannot use that photo if i have the choice at all 
I mean, he makes a really uh, a point I'd never thought about in all my years of watching movies and one of the documentaries where Cronenberg says, you know, people think about actors as being very vain. They want their hair a certain way or their makeup a certain way. But that's literally their responsibility is to think about how they appear on the film. It's actually part of the larger part of being an actor to look in the way that you should that you want to look because you need to make sure you're best represented as part of the film and and um it's not really a director's choice as much as it is an actor's choice in his mind and this is him allowing the actors to really have control of how they see their characters Oh, I hope nothing ever comes out bad about him. <laughs> we, I mean, we have nothing we, but great things. To we have say nothing about him. but great things. We they talk about how how when everyone loves him, was working with him. He's it's a safe set. Everybody's got a voice. <laughs> please, please, David Cronenberg, if you're listening, be a good person. Don't do the bad stuff. Don't do the anything you're tempted by. Don't do it. Hopefully it would have come out by now. Well, I think he would well, he wouldn't keep working with the same people over and over again, right? Including like Denise well, Cronenberg's sister, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, she was. Well, look at Joss Whedon. Yeah, fair <laughs> point. Yeah. Uh so I don't know anything about these next two movies we're watching, Cosmos Cosmopolis and a difficult method, is that what it's called? Uh dangerous. Dangerous, dangerous method. method, excuse me. I know nothing about that one, but I have seen Cosmopolis. Looking forward to discovering them. Cosmopolis is weird because it's it's like almost the whole movie takes place in a car. (laughs) So it's it's an interesting challenge, narrative challenge. Moving on to the a young a younger generation of actors, Mm -hmm. Kira Knightley and Rob Pattinson. Yeah. I remember I enjoying it a lot. I don't one of them yet, so I'm going to have to get check out the ways to view them. Yeah, I've just, I've just set myself aside a Cronenberg section of my movie shelf. So I've Me got, too. I've got yeah. everything physically except for M. Butterfly and uh, whatever the car racing movie was that we didn't talk about. Oh, yeah. I actually discovered I have two different editions of Crash. Mm. of all movies to have multiple copies of <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys um this was a really interesting conversation very fun we should do it more often 